Well, I got a text message last night from, uh, from Roland, which is a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. He's in Cambodia, out in some remote little village, and I get a text message from him. And I text him back and said, could you imagine if Paul had text messaging? I mean, this world would be a different place, you know? It's just, I was blown away. But uh, he, he sends you all his, uh, his greetings, um, continue to pray for him. You know, they're struggling with the, the heat and uh, the humidity and uh, the spiritual darkness and a lot of stuff going on over there. It's not an easy trip. So continue to, uh, to pray for Roland and Patricia as they move to, uh, to Thailand for a bit before, uh, before coming home. Um, <clears throat> later, towards the end of the week. But, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking, as we, were, as we were getting going, we're in a series where we've been looking at some biographical studies. And a couple of weeks ago, Roland started that talking about David and Saul and how God prepares us for his service. And then he talked about Daniel and how God has a mission for us to, to fulfill he talked about Ruth and how God works through the transitions in our lives, both individually and the transitions in our church. And then John, last week, talked about Samson and uh, how God's ways are not our ways, and God sees things differently than we do. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, as Roland asked me to talk this morning, I was thinking, you know, what do we need as a church? What, more than anything, what do we need? And then I turned that in where I said, more than anything, what do I need? And the answer was this, this word, uh, transformation. You know, I need transformation from the inside out. And, um, you know, I love the words of that song, that, that God changes us from the inside, and that's where the transformation comes from. And, and I've been kind of reading through the Gospels in my own devotion time. And so, uh, you know, I've been reading a lot about Peter, and Peter came to mind as a great study of transformation. And I wanted to just kind of share a little bit some of the highlights of uh, of his story as we get going today. You know, I love Peter. He's just a lovable guy, you know. He's so honest, and Scripture is so honest about him. And if you had to summarize Peter's life, I think it would be, you know, three steps forward, two steps back. Uh, every time he moved forward, he was tripping over his own feet uh, coming back. And, and he, his, his uh, humanity is refreshing, uh, his failures are almost as encouraging to me as his successes. And I love reading about this man and reading about what God did in his life because I always walk away thinking, if God could work in Peter, he can work in me. And, uh, and so Peter is an encouraging guy in that way. I call this Peter the making of a disciple. And I want you to, we're going to kind of run on two tracks today. And so as you think about this in your own life, I want you to think about application in two different ways. Number one, how was Peter transformed? You know, what, what did he do? How, how did his faith grow? How did his relationship with Jesus grow? And how can your relationship with Jesus grow? Okay, that's track number one. But track number two, I want us to observe Jesus' interaction with Peter. How did, Pete, how did Jesus cause Peter's faith to grow? How did Jesus, the great disciple maker, make a disciple out of Peter? Okay, so you got it? So two tracks to run on. Because, you know, God wants to change your life. 
right? I mean, God wants you to have more faith. He wants you to trust him more. He wants you to walk more closely with him. But that's not all that God has. God also wants you to be involved in helping other people grow their faith and their relationship with him and walk with him. So on the one sense, we've got Peter, the disciple. On the other side, we've got Jesus, the disciple maker. Got it? So there's going to be kind of a parallel application as we go through uh, the message today. To get you in the, in, the, in the right mind frame, I want you to just kind of think back. Uh, put yourself back 2,000 years. In a small fishing region in a mountainous area of northern Israel, the area has several major roads go through it. So people from all over the region pass by. People from Syria, from Persia, from Africa, from Europe. It's a road that the people travel through to get from north to south and from east to west. The village probably looks a lot like, the villages there probably look a lot like some of the villages that you've seen on TV in Iraq and Afghanistan even today. There's no paved roads. There's no big buildings. It's rural. It's an agricultural society. And in the middle of this area, there's a good-sized lake that becomes this, the hub of all of the fishing activity um, in the area. And that's where we meet Peter, whose name is really Simon. And Peter, Simon, has a brother named Andrew, and they've got this fishing venture that they're, that they're starting. And there's another couple of brothers, James and John. So James and John are brothers. Andrew and Simon are brothers, and they're kind of together in this fishing, uh, this little fishing venture that they're putting together. And um, Andrew, Simon's brother, one day, he's at, a, uh, he's at a John the Baptist rally out in the desert. And, and while he's there, he actually meets Jesus. Jesus comes along and John says, that's the Son of God. And, and Andrew introduces himself to Jesus and asks to spend the day with him. And he does. And he's so impressed that he comes back and he tells his brother, Simon, he says, you have got to meet this guy. And so he takes Simon out to, the, out to the desert to meet Jesus. And Jesus meets Simon and he says, you know what? I'm going to change your name. We're going to call you Rock. Okay? And, um, you know, it's, the nickname is really a character trait. So in, in the Greek, it was Petros, right? So when you read the Greek translations of this, it's Petros. But when you read the Aramaic translations, it, Peter's name is what? It's, it's Cephas, right? Because Cephas means Rock in Aramaic, and Petros means rock in Greek, and so when we translate this into e English, we really should call him rock, because Peter is not a, a formal name, it's a nickname, it's a character, and, um, you know, there's nobody else in the Bible called Peter, because it wasn't a name, it was just a nickname, it was your rock, but for simplicity's sake, we're going to call him Peter um, as we go through this today. Amen. Now, these guys... These, these early disciples, a lot of commentators believe that these guys were actually teenagers. They think Peter might have been a little bit older because Peter was married. And so he might have been, you know, 20, early 20s. And they think that a lot of them might have been teenagers. But at the very least, I mean, these guys are all in their, their early to mid-20s. These are young men. And I point this out because, you know, we got this picture on the wall, right? And we got this picture of, of Peter that comes from these stained glass churches with this long, flowing gray beard and a staff, and he's walking, you know, that, that Peter, that's not him. That's not the guy. 
This is a young man in his early 20s, and um, he meets Jesus. It's interesting, if you read uh, Matthew's account, it says this. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew. And they were casting their nets into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fish for men. At once they left their nets, and they followed him. And so, you know, you read the passage in Matthew and think, wow, this is amazing. I mean, Jesus just shows up on the scene out of the blue, out of nowhere. He says, follow me. And Peter leaves his career, leaves the family, leaves everything and follows him. But if you read the story in John, you understand that Peter had already met Jesus once. Jesus had given him the nickname of Rock. And if you read the Luke account, what you find is that Jesus, when he comes to Galilee, actually comes with the whole entourage. I mean, he's got... Hundreds of people following him down to the shore of this lake. And he's teaching these people. And he comes upon Peter, who he already knows. And he says, you know, you got a boat. I could really use that because these people are crowding around me. And, you know, I mean, if I'm trying to teach and I'm down here in the middle and you guys are standing up and there's hundreds of people, you know, some of you are going to be able to see me and some of you aren't, right? And it's going to be kind of hard to hear me. And so Jesus asks Peter, can I use the boat so I can push out a little bit to see separate, give a little bit of space between me and the people, and then I can teach. And so Jesus goes on to teach the people from Peter's boat. And so Peter gets to listen to this message. And so he gets to know Jesus a little bit more. When, when he's finished, Jesus comes in and he tells Peter, now, you know, take the boat out a little ways and throw your nets over the side and see what you catch. Peter says, well, you know, we've been fishing all day and we kind of know about fishing and there's no fish out there. But if you say to do it, I like the teaching, you seem to be a good guy, I'll give it a shot. So Peter goes out, throws the nets over the, over the boat, and they catch so many fish that they can barely get them to shore. The nets are breaking. It's an absolute miracle. And Peter, of all people, knows that this is a miracle. He falls at Jesus' feet, and he says, Go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. And principle number one to come to Jesus, you have to understand who he is and you have to fall on your knees and say, I'm a sinful person. I do not belong here. I do not belong in your presence. Well, Jesus, or Peter, Jesus looks at Peter. He says, at that point, the most commanded, the most often commanded uh, command in scripture, which is, don't be afraid. Jesus says, don't be afraid, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's the whole context. And so Peter hears Jesus. He's, he's encountered him before. He's impressed with him. He sees the miracle. He has experienced Jesus' forgiveness in his life. And Jesus says, follow me. And Jesus leave, or Peter leaves everything and follows Jesus. Principle number two, when you walk with Jesus, you have to leave. You have to be willing to put everything behind. You can't add Jesus to your life. Yeah, I'll add a little religion to my life. I, I could use that, you know. Peter left everything, dropped his nets, dropped his fishing enterprise, left the whole thing behind, followed Jesus. Well, over the next year or so, Jesus, Peter walked with Jesus all over the place. I mean, he saw everything that Jesus did. Jesus taught thousands and thousands of people 
And Peter heard all of those messages. He was there on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus taught the multitudes. He walked with Jesus. He heard the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, the, you know, all of the, the teaching that Jesus had, the, the unforgiving slave, and the, you know, all of the teaching that Jesus had to offer. Peter walked with Jesus and he saw miracle after miracle. Remember, we're up in Galilee and these roads are going through from north to south and east to west and people from all over are passing through. And so word about Jesus spreads quickly. And anybody who was sick or, or needed healing would come to Jesus and he would heal them. And people saw, Peter saw Jesus heal a man with a withered hand. He saw him heal someone who was lame. He saw him heal a paralytic. They had to lower through the roof of the, of the house because there just was no other way to get him in. Peter saw him forgive that man's sins. Peter saw him for, or heal the son of a Roman ruler from miles away just by his mere words. Peter witnessed all of this over the next couple of years as he followed Jesus. And there were a lot of people following. We don't know how many. Some came, some left. Some were intrigued, some walked away, but there were a lot of people following Jesus. At one point, Jesus taps 12 guys on the shoulder, including Peter, and he says, I want to take you away. And they retreat back into the mountains, and Jesus spends time with them and tells them, I want to pour my life into you. And he gives them, he restates for them his mission, or their mission, his mission for them. You know, there's a principle here of leadership. You can't disciple everybody, even Jesus. He could teach the masses, but he couldn't disciple the masses. He discipled 12, and he really focused a lot of his attention on three, Peter, James, and John. So, remember at the beginning, Jesus' mission for them was, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And now in Matthew 9, it's a great passage where Jesus demonstrates how to fish for men. In Matthew 9, verse, uh, starting around verse 35, it says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. So he takes these 12 guys, he says, you're going to fish for men, let me show you how to do it. And he goes into all of the towns and villages, and he preaches the good news of the kingdom of God, so they can see how to do this. Okay? So the first principle is, as a leader, you need to demonstrate what you want your, your disciple to follow. I was a young pup, a young freshman at USC, all of 18 years old, and I had been a Christian for a little less than a year. Um, I had watched people older than me go off to college and fall away from God, and I just, I didn't want that to happen, and I was scared to death going off to, to USC, secular school, and, you know, all these people, I just, I said, I've got to get involved in the Christian organization. I've got to be involved someplace. I've got to get involved in a Bible study. And so I looked all over for Bible studies on campus, and I found this Campus Crusade for Christ. And I went, and it was really great, you know. I went, and I sat down. We had these really neat Bible studies, and there were some really good people, and I formed some great relationships, and we prayed together. And that was all wonderful. And then one day, 
the, um, one of the staff guys on Campus Crusade came and tapped me on the shoulder and he said, hey, how about tomorrow afternoon we go out on campus and we talk to some people about Jesus? And I said, huh? <laughs> he says, yeah, yeah, it'll be great. We'll just go out, we'll find some people, we'll, we'll engage them in conversation, we'll just talk to them about Jesus. I said, I, I think you got the wrong guy here. I mean, I'm a freshman, I'm all new to this stuff. He goes, no, 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 come on, come on, it'll be great. You come along, I'll, I'll talk, you can just listen, you just kind of watch what's going on. Well, he's, you know, he's a staff guy, so I said, okay, let's go. So we went out that Tuesday, and we spent the afternoon, he spent the afternoon talking to people about Jesus, I kind of spent the afternoon following him. And he said, well, what do you think? I said, wow, that was, that was really interesting, you know. Uh, he said, well, let's do it again next Tuesday. So next Tuesday we meet, and we go out, and we meet a couple of people, and he starts, you know, conversation about Jesus, and then, you know, the whole thing, this is all going pretty good, and, and he looks at me halfway through the afternoon, and he goes, okay, your turn. Uh, that was exactly what Jesus did here for the 12. He demonstrated, and then he turns around, and he says, your turn. He also, in this passage, so principle number one of leadership, of discipleship here, is he demonstrates how to fish for men. Number two, he focused on people's needs and asked the disciples to pray. Okay? It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, pray that the Lord would send out workers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You see this? You catch this? This is really huge. Jesus was not about a program. He was filled with compassion for the multitude, and that's what drove him. So his compassion shows through to these 12. And he says, you pray for them. They are distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. The harvest is plentiful, but there's no workers. So pray that God sends out workers into the harvest. Okay? So principle number two, motivated by compassion and prayer. And then number three, third principle of, of leadership here. Jesus turns around and says to them, now, you are the answer to your own prayers. Because Jesus took the 12 and he paired them up into six teams and he sent them out into different villages all around the surrounding areas. And he says, you guys now go and you take the good news and you preach the word out in the villages. You see what he's doing? He demonstrates, he prays, he comes from the right motivation and then he turns them loose, puts them in pairs and says, go out into the villages. And you know what? These young guys, these teenagers, or young 20-something guys, go out into the towns. And you know what they do? They preach the kingdom of God, just the way they saw Jesus do it. And then they pray. And you know what happens when they pray? God starts healing people in those villages, just like he did when Jesus was there. And these guys learn what it is to preach the kingdom and to rely on God in faith, kind of like what I had to do at Campus Crusade. You know, I, believe me, I was praying the whole time. I was scared to death. But, uh, you know, Jesus lets them do it. Oftentimes when we disciple people, we don't turn them loose enough. We demonstrate, demonstrate, teach, 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 teach. It's all about input. We don't do it. We don't let them do it. Um, 
and watch them. So, so first we demonstrate, then we, we watch them do it, and we make sure that they know how um, to do that. How about you? Are you doing this kind of discipleship with somebody? Can you think of someone in your life who you intentionally are meeting with to teach them, to show them how to do something, and then releasing them to do it? Are you showing somebody how to study the Bible? Are you actually showing and demonstrating to somebody how to share your faith with somebody else? And then are you encouraging them to go out and do that themselves? That's how Jesus did it. That's how Jesus made disciples. I'm really concerned that a lot of us are not doing that. We're not intentional about making disciples, about the way that we do that. Well, at this point, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, scholars, uh, people who study the Bible a lot and such, break down three years of Jesus' ministry. And they talk about the year of obscurity as the first year, before he really breaks onto the scene. And then the second is the year of popularity, where just the multitudes are following him. And then the third is the year of rejection, which leads to the crucifixion. And right here, you know, they're kind of at the height of the popularity. In fact, they, um, up, on the, up on a mountain overlooking the Sea of, uh, of Galilee, uh, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And the disciples are there, and they participate in that, right? And they get to see this great miracle. And this is kind of the height. I wish I had more time to, to talk about that miracle, because it was just, it was just, it blew their minds and, and convinced them that this was really the guy. Uh, but after that, uh, the, when, they were, when everybody was finished eating, the disciples got in their boat, and they were going to go home. They lived on the other side of the lake. So they got in the boat, and they start on their way across the lake. Now, I've been to the Sea of Galilee, and it's an amazing uh, ge geological kind of a thing. At the e one end of the lake, these mountains just go straight up, these big high cliffs, and they go long, and it forms this, like, this tunnel. And the wind, when the storm picks up, just comes whipping through there and hits the lake, and it can be, there can be some violent storms on that lake, and, and they come up suddenly. And that's what happened here. The, they were about halfway across, and this, this storm came, and it was bad. And they, um, you know, these were seasoned fishermen, but they were really, really struggling against the elements. The waves were high, the wind was whipping, and um, they're getting a little bit scared. And they look out, and Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Now, I mean, picture this. Big waves, the whole thing. And he's walking on the water. I and mean, what would you think? So they think it's a ghost, or they think it's a hallucination, they're not sure what to think of this whole thing. And Peter is the one who has this great idea. He says, Lord, if that's really you, command me to come to you. And Jesus goes, okay, Pete, let's, let, let's see what you got. You know, come on, um, come to me. And Peter actually hops out of the boat. And he starts walking on the water. And he's walking towards Jesus. And I don't know what happened, but he got a little scared. And he looked down, and he took his eyes off of Jesus, and he starts to sink, and he yells out for Jesus, you know, save me. And Jesus does. But, you know, I'm thinking about Peter. And the guy hopped out of the boat. I mean, nobody else did that, you know. 
I mean, he may have started sinking, but that, that was three steps forward right there, you know. Hop out of the boat. I mean, this guy's faith was unbelievable. He may have been, like, misguided sometimes, but this guy was all in, you know. And um, <clears throat> so, we, you know, we, we learn this lesson from Peter of faith, of believing in Jesus. And even though he took his eyes off Jesus, I'm amazed by the fact that he got out of the boat. And, uh, you know, I thought, what, how did he do that? I mean, what caused him to be able to have that kind of faith to, to get out of the boat and start walking to Jesus in the middle of a storm, huge waves, big wind, the whole thing? He gets out of the boat. And you know what it was? He had walked with Jesus for a couple of years at this point. He had seen the miracles. Jesus had just fed 5,000 people up on the hill with a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Jesus himself had just walked out on the water. Peter knew Jesus intimately. He trusted God. He knew what he could do. My question to us is, in where are you walking with God to the point that it's stretching and building your faith so that, to where you could jump out of the boat? You know? Where are you taking small steps? Because this wasn't the first thing. You know, Peter walked with them for a couple of years. They went through a lot of stuff together. He gave Peter lots of challenges, preaching in, the, in, the, in these towns and bringing the kingdom of God to them and uh, you know, praying for them and seeing God heal people. These were all steps of faith that built Peter up to the point that he could have the kind of faith to jump out of the boat. So where do you need to build your faith? What can you do uh, where can you trust God in the small things so that he can build that faith to where you can trust him in the big ones? Well, this is actually the beginning of this period of, of rejection. And, and after the feeding of the 5,000, you know, Jesus starts, he gets into some wild teaching, you know. I mean, he's talking about eating his flesh and, and drinking his blood. He's talking about commitment. He's talking to people, telling them, if you're not in, if you're not all in, you know, you're not in at all. And, um, and people start leaving. People start saying, you know what, this is just too bizarre, too weird, I don't get it, I'm leaving. And hundreds and then thousands of people left Jesus, stopped following. So Jesus comes to the remaining disciples and he says, do you want to leave too? And in John 6, 68, Peter, again, is the guy who steps up and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I mean, this guy is, this guy is starting to get solid, right? And right after that, Jesus pulls the 12 aside, and he says, who do men say that I am? John the Baptist, you're Elijah, they think you're another prophet. He says, who do you say that I am? Peter is the one, again, who steps up and says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, there's a leadership principle here, and I like this one. Um, remember, the application on this is not just how do we grow ourselves, but how do we help other people to grow? So how does Jesus help the disciples grow here? How does Jesus disciple Peter? And the leadership principle is this. If you tell them they're skeptical, 
If they say it, it's true. Okay? If you say it, they're skeptical. If they say it, it's true. What do I mean by that? Jesus is a master at asking questions. Could Jesus have just stood up in the midst of the twelve and say, don't you guys get it? I'm the, I'm, I'm the Messiah? Could he have done that? Of course he could. But if he says it, they're skeptical. He wants them to say it. And so he comes up with the masterful questions. Who do men say that I am? Now who do you say that I am? And Peter comes up with it on his own. Now it's etched in Peter's brain forever. He knows that much better than he would know it if Jesus had just told him. This is true with your kids. Okay? If you tell them, believe me, they're skeptical. If you can ask questions and draw it out of them and have them come to the conclusion, they'll believe it. Okay? With your coworkers, with the people who work for you, with your clients, with the people that you come in contact with, with the people that you are discipling. Again, I have this tendency to just want to lay it out to people. Just, just tell them all the stuff. Give them all the information. That doesn't change people. What changes people is getting them to process themselves and come to the conclusion themselves. And so asking masterful questions is key in discipling. And that's exactly what Jesus does. So, Je so Peter comes up with the right answer. Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. God the Father revealed it to you. And Peter, is, he's got to be feeling pretty good, right? It's like, okay, I got the right answer. None of these other guys did. Uh, you know, somebody that you really respect says, yeah, that's right. You, that's exactly right on. I don't know how you even got that, but, you know, you're going, yeah, I'm pretty good. And so he's, he's puffing up his chest a little. He's walking. He's got a little bit more swagger in his step, you know. He's thinking, not only did I get the right answer, but God told me. God didn't talk to these guys. God talked to me, you know. And he's feeling pretty good. And it's just... Just right there, right afterwards, that Jesus starts talking about his suffering and predicting his own death. And Peter takes Jesus aside and said, this is never going to happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Satan. I mean, one minute he's channeling God the Father, and the next minute he's channeling Satan. I mean, this guy is three steps forward, two steps back. He's just tripping all over himself. Um, and he's, you know, he's lovable in that way, isn't he? Um, he's just, he's, he's honest and, um, you know, he just, he just gets a little bit ahead of himself. And he continues to do that. Peter starts getting much more vocal now in the, in the story. And I wish we had time to, to talk about all of them. But, you know, in the transfiguration, he comes up with this great idea. Lord, let's make three tents. One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. And, and this whole thing's going on. And God literally has to say in the mid-sentence to Peter, Peter, shut up. <laughs> That's my translation. But he, he does. You know, he says, Peter, just shut up. Listen to Jesus. Uh, you know, he, he just goes through all these things. He falls asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's supposed to be praying. And when the soldiers come, he manages to wake up and takes a swing at one of, the, one of the guards with a sword, hacks his ear off before Jesus said, Peter, that's not the program. Um, that, that's not the way that we're doing it here. He's just, you know, he's all in, but he's, he's, he's awfully misguided at times. And that's what I love about him, you know. He's just, uh, 
He gets going, he trips, he gets going again. But now they start to move towards the cross, and Peter's there for all of it. Um, he's there when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Uh, he's there for the triumphal entry. He's feeling pretty good at that point. He's there at the Last Supper, and of course, you know, he has the whole dialogue with Jesus about not washing his feet, and when Jesus says, I have to wash your feet, he goes, then wash the whole of me, you know, just give me a bath. Um, typical, typical of Peter. Um, he's with him for all of that. He watches the trial and the scourging and the crucifixion, and he sees Jesus die, and he loses all hope. And Peter goes back to fishing. He figures it's over. All of that stuff, all of that, all those grand designs are over. And Peter goes back to the lake, and he goes back to fishing. And this is a great leadership principle. Jesus, after raising from the dead, comes back to the lake, and he reaffirms Peter. I mean, you know, Peter denied him. I mean, put yourself in this place. You know, you got a good friend, some of your discipling, some of your training. And you find out, you know, they, just, they totally disowned you. They, they told people they didn't even know you. They, they told people, you know, really bad stuff about you. How would you feel, you know? Go get another disciple, right? I mean, I can't believe Jesus stuck with these guys. But he reaffirms Peter, and he comes to him. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these fish? And Peter says, yeah, Lord, I do. He says, do you love me more than the other disciples? Peter's, you know... He's kind of lost his swagger here. You know, he's, he's humbled. He just says, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus reconfirms um, Peter's place as being a shepherd of the church when he says, shepherd my flock. He, he restores him in love. And uh, sometimes the people that we're leading, that we're discipling, will disappoint us greatly. And Jesus is a great example of restoring him in love. Well, at the end of uh, Matthew 28, Jesus comes to the, the disciples again, and he reaffirms the mission. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And he's kind of come full circle from the first time that he met them, where he said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He now comes back and says, go and make disciples of all the nations. And finally, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus comes to the disciples for the last time before his ascension. And you know what he does again? He reaffirms again the mission. So leadership principle, keep reinforcing the mission. Keep people on track. You've got to keep reminding them. What are we doing here? Why are we doing it? Jesus says, go to the upper room, wait for the Holy Spirit, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. And so they do. Jesus repeated the mission. In Matthew 4, I'll make you fishers of men. In Matthew 9, Go out two by two and share the gospel. Matthew 28, make disciples of all the nations. And now in Acts 1, you will be my witnesses. And even when Peter lets him down, and he's in his two-step back mode, Jesus comes and he reaffirms him 
and he doesn't give up, and he doesn't quit on him. And so the disciples are in the upper room, and they're praying, and Lord, what, what do we do? Jesus said, wait. Jesus said, pray. That's what we're doing. We're not sure what we're going to do here. But they're waiting, and they're praying. And all of a sudden, Pentecost comes, and there's thousands of people in Jerusalem from all over the world for this, for this feast. And the Holy Spirit comes on them. And there's, it's just wild. I mean, there's just flames and fire and wind and they're speaking in tongues. And, you know, Holy Spirit, huge power, not very understandable. Like, woo! It's just, you know, it's just wild stuff. And there's people from at least 15 different ethnic backgrounds um, in, in Jerusalem and all these different languages. And the disciples start to preach and they preach... And these people all hear the message in their own language. And this spreads all through Jerusalem and thousands of people come down to where the disciples are preaching. And there's this huge crowd and they're going, what's going on? Are these guys drunk or what's happening? And Peter is the one who stands up full of the Holy Spirit and he says, these people aren't drunk. This is what Joel prophesied back in the Old Testament. And he starts his message, and the first word of his message, guess what it is? Jesus. We're in church. If you're ever not quite sure, go with Jesus. Okay? Jesus, a man attested to you by miracles of God, you crucified by nailing him to a cross, but God raised him from the dead. Peter preaches this powerful sermon. Where did he learn to do that? He watched Jesus. He practiced it in the little villages. And now he's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working with the experiences that Peter has had and his time with Jesus. And he just, he preaches this message. It's a simple message of the gospel. Jesus was attested by God you crucified him, God raised him from the dead. I'll share something with you. This is from a book by Timothy Keller, his most recent book, King's Cross. He says this, and I love this, the gospel. The gospel means news that brings great joy. It meant history-making, life-shaping news, as opposed to just daily news. See, the gospel was a word that was used in the, in the vernacular at the time. It says, when Greece was invaded by Persia and the Greeks, <clears throat> when Greece was invaded by Persia and the Greeks won the great battles of Marathon and Solness, they sent heralds, evangelists, who proclaimed the gospel, the good news, to the cities. We have fought for you, we have won, and now you're no longer slaves, you're free. A gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that's been done for you that changes your status forever. Right there, Keller says, you can see the difference between Christianity and all other religions, including no religion. The essence of all other religions is advice. Christianity is essentially news. Other religions say, this is what you have to do in order to connect with God forever. This is how you have to live in order to earn your way to God. 
But the gospel says this is what has been done in history. This is how Jesus lived and died to earn the way to God for you. Christianity is completely different. It's joyful news. Isn't that great? And so Peter steps up and he gives this message to thousands of people and they say, what should we do? And Peter says, attend church regularly. <laughs> Give more. Be better people. Yeah. Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember when, Je when Peter first met Jesus and Jesus does the miracle, what does Peter do? He falls on his knees and he repents. And he says, Lord, I'm a sinful man. That's the message of Christianity. It is not advice. It is the fact that Jesus died and rose again to save you from your brokenness. To save me from my brokenness and my sin. That's the message that Peter brought to these people. It was not, be better people. It was not, here's some great advice. You know, you don't see, any other religious leader, think about it. I mean, they stand up and they go, Confucius say, you know, and he has these, these pithy little sayings, right? That you could hang your hat on. Peter says, Jesus died and God raised him from the dead and you need to repent. It's not advice. It's history. And it is good news that changes our lives forever. Well, 3,000 people came to Christ that day. 3,000 people. Now think about it. Jesus comes to this little, this little village on a lake in the middle of nowhere. And he tells this young 20-something kid, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. 3,000 people came into a relationship with Jesus that day because Peter followed Jesus and Jesus made him a fisher of men. And we just don't have time to go into all of it, but the next day, it, it, you know, Peter's, Peter's walking through the city and there's this guy who's begging. He's been lame from the time he was born. He's been there for 30 years. And Peter and John walk by, and the guys ask for money, and they say, well, we don't have any money, but what we've got, we'll give you. Stand up and walk. And they lift this guy up, and he walks, and he starts leaping and jumping, and he's, hey, he's all over the place. He goes, hey, I've, I've been sitting in that seat for 30 years, and now I'm jumping around. And all this, this huge crowd of people gather. They don't give his name, but let's say he's Bob. You know, Bob had been there for 30 years. And now all of a sudden, Bob's walking and Bob's jumping. And they go, it's not Bob. I mean, how, how'd, Bob how'd Bob get that? Yeah. And so these people all gathered around. And Peter looked around and goes, there's a crowd. What does Peter do when there's a crowd? He preaches. <laughs> and what's the first word out of his mouth? Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> and 5,000 men came to Christ that day. We don't know how many women and children but there's got to be 10, 15,000 people that have come to Christ in two days because of Peter's preaching. Jesus poured his life into Peter and made a disciple who followed him and became a fisher of men. And we're here today because of Peter. This just screw-up guy, you know, that couldn't get it right. 
But he was all in. So my question to you is, you know, are you all in? Where does God want to build your faith? What does he want to transform in you? He transformed this young guy into you know, somebody to change the world. Where does he want to change you? What does he want to do in your life? And the second question is, who are you going to impact? Who are you going to disciple? Who are you going to spend time and pour your life into and demonstrate and observe and turn them out on their own so that they can do it? Maybe that's how to read the Bible. Maybe it's how to share Christ. I don't know what it is uh, for you. But would you do this as we're closing? Um, you've all got sermon notes. Just, just take a piece of paper out. And I want you to write down just two things. The first is, where do you need to develop faith? You know, maybe you need to walk away from something. You know, Peter walked away from his job. Peter walked away from his livelihood. Uh, maybe there's something in your life that you need to walk away from. Uh, maybe you need to trust God for something. Maybe you're fearful and you need to not be afraid and you need to trust God for something. Maybe you need to step out in obedience. That might be forgiving somebody. Uh, might be sharing Jesus with somebody. Uh, it might be praying for someone. But where do you need to exercise faith? Write that down. And secondly... Would you just write down the name of one person that you would like to impact? And let me qualify that. Let's just say one person other than your kids. We all want to impact our kids, right? And this is a great application, and you need to teach this stuff to your kids. But, and you need to disciple them. But one person other than your kids um, that you want to have an impact. You want to lead them to Christ. You want to, but, but beyond that, you want them to experience Jesus. Write down the name of that person and pray for them with compassion and pray for the courage to share your faith with them. Lord, you, you amaze me. The wisdom that we find when we look at your life and how to relate to people, how to change people, how to forgive people, um, it leaves me speechless. I pray, Lord, that each of us would act out on what we've heard this morning, that we would identify a place where you can build faith in us so that we can have more faith the next time and more faith the next time, and we can build on that faith Father, I pray that you would instill in each of us this mission to be fishers of men. God, to make disciples of all the nations. To wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to be your witnesses. Father, this wasn't just for them. This is for us. And we've been disobedient in it. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us great boldness and great courage to go out in your name and spread not advice, but to spread good news that you've come to bring us into right relationship with you. Make us different people, Lord. Transform us from the inside out as we follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you.